Hi, everybody, and welcome to Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today is Saturday, the 31st of December, 2022. My name is Maria F, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from County Dublin in Ireland, and I will be your host for today's study. Our co-hosts today are Audrey N, Sue L, and Nancy J. If you have any questions or any concerns during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts and you can do this by private message in the chat function. Please just note that our speaker today, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of this study. However, the Q&A which follows the study will not be recorded. So please feel free to ask Harlan any questions that you may have during that period. We ask that you can please make sure that your microphones are on mute at all times today. And also, if you need to step away from your video for any reason at all, please do disconnect your camera. The previous week's recordings will be posted in the chat function and also a link to the seventh edition payment. So now we will turn over to Harlan G in Scottsdale, Arizona. Good morning to you, Harlan. Good morning, Maria. Thank you very much for all the work you do, Sue, Nancy J, whomever, Audrey, whoever, uh, uh, whoever makes this possible. It is far from me, believe me. I don't do the website. I don't post the recordings. I don't handle the treasury. I don't maintain the website. Uh, I don't do any of that stuff. So there are a lot of people that are integral to this endeavor that I am, I just want to say thank you very, very much to all of you who attend a wonderful happy new year and a, and a blessed year to each and every one of you. May God's countenance shine upon you and may he be gracious unto you during the coming year and your comings and your goings. Okay, now we are going to be talking this morning about the fourth column of the resentment section of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Step four is divided into three sections, resentments, fears, and sexual harms done others. And we're gonna talk about just column four probably today. If we get a little further, we get a little further, but we're not gonna pressure ourselves. And what I would like to do when we start is I will always tell you that we're going to eventually start on page 67, where it says we avoid retaliation or argument. And when we do get started there, that's where we're going to begin. But before we get there, I'd like to talk to you guys for just a little bit about who we are as people and what this inventory process does. The inventory process is a very, very revealing process by which we uncover, discover, and discard. What do we uncover? We uncover the things in ourselves which have been blocking us. Blocking us from what? Blocking us from living our most optimal life the defects of character, the behaviors that we've engaged in for so very, very long that have held us back from living up to our potential. And this is something that we wanna get in touch with because until we know what we're dealing with, it's really very difficult, if not impossible, to move forward. We uncover and then we discover. What is it that we discover? We discover the defects of character and specifically how they have 
wrap their tentacles around our soul, around our brain, and around our lives to decimate us so that decades and decades of our lives have gone by with a life unfulfilled, a life unlived. And then we discard them, but we can no more discard them by ourselves then we could discard our eating disorders. We need God's help. And that is the process of the steps that is going to, that, that is going to produce the scenario by which we can dis uncover, discover, and discard these various things. Now, I want you to know that Carl, our newest member of OA, is on our meeting today, and he's sticking his tongue out at all of us, and that's okay. We love him anyway, and if he doesn't look just like his dad, then I don't know who does. So anyway, Carl, welcome. We, we're glad that you're starting off young, and when you're older, Carl, you'll get a lot of people saying, gosh, I wish I would have come in when I was two years old. And you'll say, yeah, well, I was just a little more awakened than you. I was a little more enlightened than you, but he's a cutie. But anyway, okay, getting back to this. You know, we run as people to extremes and sometimes it's absurd extremes. And as we go through life and we build up these resentments that we've talked about over the last couple of uh, couple of weeks what is a resentment to refeel re means to do again repaint rewrite reread it always means to do again and sentiment comes from an old old word sentiri which means to feel and when we go through our lives and we build up these resentments they always become lies now does that mean that you were not originally injured does that mean that you just lied to yourself and said so and so said this or such and such did that Probably not, but here's where it becomes a lie. As I go through my life, my brain does not have something that my TV recordings, my audio recordings have. And what do they have that I lack? Fidelity. What does fidelity mean? Fidelity means truth and consistency. Truth and consistency. When I have a resentment in my head, and I'm rehearsing this resentment against a certain person, a place, a thing, an entity, an institution, an expression. What happens over time is as I live my life, I start to change my position in this scenario and make it a little more innocent. And I start to change the other person or institution or postulates position and make it a little more nefarious, make it a little more dastardly, make it a little more villainous. And if you give me enough time, what will happen in my situation, I don't know about yours, but I bet it's very similar, I was standing there doing nothing, and this witch came over and did that to me. How dare she do that? How dare he do that? How dare they do that? And as I resent more and more, I start to resent other people for not stepping forward to defend me. Then I start to resent the most critical person in this scenario, myself. And that self-resentment 
that rage turned inward, that depression, that state of rage that I feel toward myself will close me off quite effectively from God. And it will make it so that the most absurd idea of eating Malomars, the most absurd idea of eating uh, chocolate cake or whatever that might be, or eating you know, pizza from Geno's East in Chicago or a Carl's Red Hot with, with a bag of dripping greasy fries or whatever that might be. But the bottom line is the ideas that come into my head at that moment, I will succumb to like the sailors who dash their ships on the rocks when the sirens beckon to them from the beach. And those ideas are very sexy in my head because I'm vulnerable to them because of the resentment. And when I resent like that, I've shut God out. I've closed off my mind and heart to a spiritual solution. And the situation becomes, I can't believe I'm eating again. So I might as well get another one and another one and another one. And you see where we go from there. But what if I could find a way not to resent? Well, that's probably not going to happen. And that's why we have steps that bring God into the equation. But in order for me to progress, in order for me to grow, I need to know who I am. And what this is going to do is it is going to reveal to me who I am. Now, I, I started telling, I started saying that we are people of extremes. And normally in out there in life, out there in the world, people go to one of two extremes. They either resent everybody and everybody is effed up and they are as white as the drip not white but they are as innocent as the driven snow or they resent nobody and everything is their fault so we go from extremes one group everything is my fault the other group everything is somebody else's fault and somewhere in the middle is the truth somewhere in the middle. And as we go through these resentments, what are we going to find out? We're going to find out what makes us tick. We're going to find out what has been driving us from the day we were born. And we're going to see patterns of resentment in all of us. Now, for most, the patterns are going to run strongest along two lines. Number one, finance. Number two, romance. We're going to find that finance and romance rattle the bells, rattle, you know, rattle everything upstairs like nothing does. Finance and romance. For some, they are very obsessed with what people are thinking of them. We don't want to tell them, no, we're not thinking about you, but everything seems to center around, I'm very, very upset because I don't, I want to try to control what people are thinking about me. And in most cases, they're not thinking about us at all, but we are so ego driven. We are so driven by this this maniacal ego that we assume that everyone is thinking about us and they're not. 
and we try to control the lives of other people. And we try to, we try to do that in an attempt to assuage the discomfort that we feel as we live in a world of, we are addict, we are addicts and some of them are, and most of them are not. And we just don't understand why we are the way we are. And we convince ourselves that if they would only stop picking their nose, if they would only stop standing over there and they would stand over there instead, if they would become Republicans instead of Democrats or Democrats instead of Republicans, then we would feel good on the inside and we convince ourselves that the food that has been ransacking us as it does the dirty work of the disease would not be an issue. I bet I sound familiar to some of you as you search inside yourself and match yourself up to what we've been saying so far. We blame everybody. We blame nobody. We do it uh, because of our egos. We are either to blame for everything or we are to blame for nothing. Somewhere in the middle lies the truth. Because there are four things that all addicts do. I don't care if they're alanonic. I don't care if they're addicted to drugs. I don't care. Alcohol, gambling, food, bulimia, anorexia. I don't care. Get whatever they're addicted to, as long as there is some dysfunction in those people and who among us doesn't have a modicum of dysfunction. We do four things and we do them so naturally, we don't even know we're doing them. Number one, we lie. We lie to ourselves and others. Now, some of you are shaking your head going, oh no, I never lie. I'm as honest as the driven snow. I'm wonderful. I'm pure. I'm this. I'm that. You've been lying to yourself about that and other things for as far back as you've been breathing. Number two, we assign blame. Those two are going to conspire to kill us unless we have a spiritual awakening. We assign blame. We blame other people. And the big book has been talking about that. And we've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks, haven't we? You know, we've been talking about that because it says on page 66, to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The third thing we do is we keep score in our relationships. We have a little scoreboard in our head. And this one did this, and this one didn't do that. And this one was over here when she or he should have been over there. Well, we keep score. And the last thing we do is we fight battles that just don't exist. So we lie, we assign blame, we keep score, and we fight battles that just don't exist. I'll go through that one more time to try to save a little time during the parking lot. We lie to ourselves and or others, we assign blame, we keep score, and we fight battles that just don't exist. I was raised by a man who fought battles that didn't exist his entire life. I'm not saying he wasn't justified. I'm not besmirching my, my dad. I'm not saying he was a bad guy. I loved him very, very much. Um, I love him very much. To this day, I do. But he fought battles that didn't exist every day of his life. And every day of his life, he was convinced that we as a people, the Jewish people, were going to be put to death 
for one reason or another, now that we have this headline in place, now that this has occurred, they're going to come and they're going to kill us. This is what I lived with. This is what I grew up with. This is the kind of catastrophizing that I grew up with on an everyday basis. And this is what I heard from him every day. When they came to kill me, I got away. They will someday come and kill you. And if they don't kill you, they'll kill your children. This is every day of my life. If they don't kill you, they'll kill your children because that's what they do. And this is what I'm growing up with. And it took my mother, who was crazy as a loon, my mother would say to me, you've got to let that go. You've got to stop listening to him. If you think like him, you'll live like him. And if you live like him, you will be extremely unhappy. And you know what? She was right. I can't live like him. I have these issues in my tissues. Yes, the issues are definitely in my tissues, but I can't live that way. I can't live in that fear. I can't live in that anger. And I can't live the parochial life that he chose for himself. He chose a very parochial life for himself. I'm not going to live that way. Thank God. But you know, as I say, the issues are still in the tissues. So we have these things going on and we don't always, we don't ever really associate the activity of our brains and hearts and souls. We don't, uh, we don't really understand that this has everything to do with our eating. We think that if we just get a handle on the eating through willpower, if we just get a handle on the eating through discipline, if we just get a handle on eating through a good diet, everything else will fall into place and then not really uh, jibe with reality. We have an illness of the mind and we have an illness of the body and only a spiritual awakening will conquer these. They won't cure it, but they will make it possible for us to live free of that food. Uh, the day before yesterday, on the 29th of December, I celebrated 24 years of continuous back-to-back -back abstinence. On the December 20, thank you, on December 29th, 1998, when my daughter was just four years old, I put the food down. And she turned four on December 14th. I put the food down on December 29th. I put the food down and I have not found it necessary to pick up the food in these 24 years. And I will tell you that in the last 24 years, I have been divorced and I have been broken up with and I have cried and I have been disappointed to the core of my soul and I have felt great elation. I have felt love. I have felt horrible, horrible rejection and I have run the gamut of human emotions. But at every step of the way, you guys in OA were there for me and with me in ways I could never pay you back. Now, why am I talking about that? I want people to know that it's possible. But the reason that I'm talking about that today is 
if I keep vigilant on my inventory process through the steps 10 and four, I don't have to find it necessary to pick up that food to make me feel better because I already feel better. And sometimes things happen. I had a little incident yesterday where I said something, I hurt someone's feelings and I absolutely adore this person. I, I, I absolutely love this person. I do not want to hurt this person. And I put my foot in my mouth. I felt horrible the rest of the day. Well, all I could do is the mistake was made. I'm human. I had to give it to God. I got up this morning. I did some work on it, got, got in touch with some things. But I, you have to keep doing the work. You have to keep doing the steps. And that's the only way. Otherwise, what would have happened is I would have eaten over this. I've eaten. Well, how do I know that? Now, maybe not an identical scenario, of course not, but I have eaten over scenarios like that for the last, you know, decades and decades and decades of my life. So I'm very glad that I not only have you as a fellowship, but I have this process with which to, to purge out. I hate to use the word purge out because of the bulimic situation, but it is really a, 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 uh, a, a purging out, a, a lifting out of these feelings. And I still feel bad that it happened, but I don't feel the same bad. I hope that makes sense. I feel a little different because I know I've done the work. Once I know I've done the work, it does shift in, in my mind just a little bit in how I feel. Okay, enough said about that. Let's go to page 67. Let's go to page 67. We avoid retaliation or argument. I'm at the first par first full paragraph that starts on page 67. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We avoid retaliation or argument. And that means we avoid retaliation or argument. We don't want to keep score. We don't want to do that. You did this. I'm going to do that. You said this. I'm going to say that. That is the way that normal people may deal with these things, but we can't without eating. If we deal with it the, that way, we are going to be ordering a large pizza from Gino's East or wherever your local pizzeria is, and it's not going to be a very pretty sight. Trust me on that one. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. Look, I'm just as human as you. There are people and things and situations that get me angry. I am in a situation where I have just completed an incredible amount of work on grief and loss. I lost decades of my life to this disease. I watched the world pass me by and there's nothing I can do. I can't go back. I don't have a time machine. I can't go back to 1965 and relive my life with what I know now. That's just not possible. That's not possible. So I have to come to terms as best I can with God's help on what I missed out on, on all the things that passed me by because of what this disease cost me. It cost me dearly. It cost me 
my rite of passage. And so I de so deeply resented myself and so deeply resented God that had I not been able to do that work, I would have been in the food again. Believe me, I would have been because food would have been a better alternative than anything I could have thought of on my own. And this is why we've been eating. See, a lot of times we think to ourselves, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Well, here's why. Because the problem for a compulsive overeater is never the food. You see, food for the compulsive overeater is the solution to the problem. So you have to stop thinking of food as the problem. And the more you think of food as the problem, the more in error you will live your life. Food is not the problem. Food is the solution to the problem. So let's take a look at that. And before we move on, we're going to just scratch the surface of that. Food was never the problem. It was the solution to the problem. As I've said, if food is not the problem, what is the problem? The problem is the buildup of everyday normal human emotion. Now, when you were a baby or you were five or you were three, whatever that was for you, you were scared, you were angry, you were bored, you were whatever you were, and you were sitting there and all of a sudden you ate some food. And this food did something for you, for you, that nothing else could do. It instantly changed your perception of reality. It made the world a beautiful, groovy place, a beautiful place. And you like that feeling. And whether you remember it or not is not the issue. Your brain remembers it. Your brain registered food is good. Food makes me feel better instantly. When you were a baby, you didn't even have language. You didn't even know what an emotion was. You registered in your brain that certain foods, certain foods, when they went into your body, it gave you an instant sense of ease and comfort. And your brain said, we like this. This is good. We like this. And the next time you got into a jam, the next time you were feeling frustrated, the next time you were feeling angry or fearful, or you were in any way overly emotional, because remember, Dr. Silkworth tells us that when we're not eating, we're restless, irritable, and discontented. Well, throw in scared to death, angry as hell, frustrated as hell, jealous, comparing our insides to other people's outsides. And these are the very things that make us extremely uncomfortable. And the brain gets up and says, hey, a baby Ruth bar would make you feel better. And the mind, I'm going to separate the brain from the mind here, the mind being the intellect and the brain being the instinctive. The mind says, no, don't eat that baby Ruth bar. That's going to hurt you. And the brain says, shut up. We're going to eat one baby Ruth bar. It's going to make us feel better. And now we're going to stop. And the mind tries to stop you from doing that. 
but the brain is operating under the steering of the ego. And the ego has three jobs. Make me feel good right now. Make me different from everybody else and make me right. And in keeping with thing number one, make me feel good right now, the brain tells the mind, shut the F up. I'm eating this Butterfinger bar. I'm eating the baby Ruth bar. And then I'm going to stop. And you eat those things. And you think that this time it's going to be okay. This time you won't gain weight. This time you'll control it. This time it's going to be different. And even though you've eaten Chips Ahoy cookies on 10,000 different occasions, and it has never worked out for you, this time it's going to be different. And you eat them. And then what happens? See, if, 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 if we didn't have this physical allergy, we didn't have this physical allergy, I would just carry around M&Ms with peanuts, of course, not the other. And these are not Jewish people that buy these other M&Ms. I'm convinced of that. You got to eat the ones with the peanuts. What the hell? Why would you spend the same nickel or the same dime on M&Ms without peanuts as you can with the peanuts? Never understood that. Seems crazy to me. I would carry them around in a little Batman utility belt, and I would pop these M&Ms in my mouth like Xanax. And every time I had a feeling, every time I got scared, every time I started to catastrophize, every time I wanted something that I can't have, every time I want to compare myself to someone else, I would take an M&M and it would be bliss because M&Ms make me feel fantastic for about 10 seconds, nine seconds. But then what happens? The physical allergy takes over and we cannot stop. And so the food does the killing of the disease. The food finishes you off. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. But once the mind activates to eat the food, the physical allergy takes over and does the killing by making sure you eat a lot more than you had intended. And excess food in a human body is a toxic substance. Excess weight is a dangerous situation. I'm going to the cardiologist on Tuesday and I'm going to the nutritionist on Tuesday and I'm gonna get weighed. And you know why I'm not really scared? I'm downweight from last time. Last time I was downweight from the time before. The time before I was downweight from the time before. The time before I was downweight from the time before that. So I'm not really scared. Two scariest things in a man's life besides girls. Two scariest things, going to the doctor, you know you're going to get weighed or buying clothes, you know you're going to get measured. Nothing is scarier than that. Nothing that I can think of is scarier than the doctor or going for clothes, except for going, I, I don't want to go to the nutritionist because I don't want her to take food away from me. I got to throw that out there. I pray to God she doesn't take any food away from me. I, I don't want, I don't want to eat less, but if I have to, I have to. Okay. So getting back to the subject at hand, let's continue because this is now going to be the instructions for the fourth column in this inventory of resentments. And that should be the biggest section that you have is the resentment section. Because if you have a fear that has a resentment, it goes in resentments. And if you have resentments, uh, you know, it should be the biggest section. Don't engineer your, you know, I love it when you go to the fifth step 
and there's three resentments down there, or there's 791 resentments down there. Somewhere in the middle is the truth, guys. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done. We resolutely, resolutely means with purpose, purpose, look for our own mistakes. Uh-oh, that's the first time I've ever had to do that. And this morning I had to do that because I had to look for my own mistakes in something that happened to me yesterday. I had to look for my part in things and completely disregard anything. The other person really didn't have a part, but I, I, I'm blaming myself for this one. I, but trust me, it's it's with with uh, it's with validation. It's with truth. But I had to look at what was going on and why it was going on, and I didn't always like what I saw. You know, you don't want to think of yourself as rabidly insecure. You don't want to think of yourself as jealous, or you don't want to think of yourself as deficient, especially all these years in. But that's exactly what was happening. I was insecure. I was scared. You know, I was coming from a place of, uh, of wanting to, to just, you know, uh, even a playing field or whatever it was. So I said something, I did something, you know, and hurt another person. It was, it was really bad news anyway. All right. Getting back to this. So we're going to look at our own mistakes and in so doing, we're going to run up against a little opposition from some of you. Now, I know that if there's 176 of you, gosh, on New Year's Eve, I really appreciate that. 176 of you have welcomed me into your computers and phones on New Year's Eve. Thank you very much. But if there's 176 of you, I got to think that some of you, statistically speaking, have been raped. And some of you, have had physical abuse at the hands of an adult. Some of you have been abandoned. And some of you have suffered injustices beyond description in your little lives. You had things that happened to you that you had no part in. I got a story about that that I'd like to tell you if I may. I grew up in Chicago. I'm a Chicagoan through and through, Northside, Mather High School, class of 72. But I went to meetings mostly in Skokie, Evanston, and in Swedish Covenant Hospital in Chicago, and in Potawatomi Park in Chicago. And that's where I primarily went to meetings. And then in the 1970s and early 80s, crime in Skokie was really limited to traffic and occasional home robberies. There were no real serious crimes there. There just weren't. And there were some, but very few and very far between. So in Skokie, Illinois, when I was a young man in program, there was a girl who was the daughter of someone that I went to meetings with every single day. We went to the same meetings every day, seven days a week. We were good friends. And her 16-year-old fell in love with Mr. Wrong. Mr. Totally Wrong. 
motorcycle and giving the cops the finger and dropping out of high school. And you know the guy, okay? She falls in love with this guy. And she was 16 years old. And she came to understand that this guy was really not the one for her. And she broke up with him. And a couple of days later, he came to her house in Skokie and blew her brains out with a gun, shot her right in the face. It was headline news. We have four television stations in Chicago, 2579, 2579. 11 was, the, was there too, but I'm just counting 257 and 9. And on the Chicago Sun-Times, the Chicago Daily News, the Tribune, and the American, well, the American, I think, was defunct by then. But the, of the newspapers we had, front page on every newspaper was the murder of this girl. And it, the, the thing lasted for, for weeks. You know, they're talking about it. How did this happen? And we didn't see the mother in this scenario, the one that I went to meetings with. I didn't go to meetings with the 16-year-old. I went to meetings with her mother. <sighs> About four or five years later, here she comes. We were in a church in Skokie. She's coming up the walk. Hadn't seen her. Hadn't seen her. She used to put herself together and she used to take care of herself. And she, you know, she did the things that ladies do to, you know, make themselves attractive. She looked like death warmed over. She looked like she had just been dropped into the ocean lived in the ocean for about a year and they plucked her out of the ocean and she came to the meeting. That's what it looked like. And she sat in the back. Now, when I was in OA then, we sat theater style. You didn't sit in a circle. You didn't do that. You sat theater style. And if you wanted to share, you went to the left of the podium, waited your turn, which you'll see at the OA birthday if you come. This is how you share at the birthday. And I encourage you to come 13th, 14th, 15th of January in Los Angeles. Go to losangelesoa.org, Los Angeles OA Intergroup and register today. Please, I'd like to see you in LA. She comes up to the podium after sitting there for months and months and months and months. Now, what did she have to do in this resentment against this young man who killed her daughter? Nothing. So she finally gets up to the podium and we're, you could hear a pin drop. You could hear a pin drop in that meeting. We didn't know what she was going to say. She said, that son of a bitch killed my daughter. For the last two years, three years, I have spent with district attorneys, police, lawyers, prosecutors, newspapers, TV reporters, radio reporters. I gave that son of a bitch a lot of time. I'm not giving this one more minute. Now, if she can forgive, if she can come to peace with this scenario, then we can too. Yes, you were raped, or yes, you were abandoned, or yes, you were divorced or cheated on. I've been there. 
My wife was carrying on with somebody else while we were married. I've been there. I'm no stranger to this. I went through this May of 2010. I was brought into the kitchen. We need to talk. Anytime a female says we need to talk, you don't want to hear what they have to say. Trust me. We need to talk. We're getting divorced, blah, blah, blah. The, the money's not there. I fell in love. I, I'm in love with somebody. I've met them through my office. I want to get, I want to be with them. I don't want to be with you. What are you going to say to that? I did the best I could to talk her out of it. I couldn't do it. Okay. Once that person makes up their mind, forget about it. It's not, you're not going to change it. I'm live, I've been divorced for 12 years. It happens. Poo-poo happens. Am I going to spend the rest of my life curled over, a, curled up around a pizza box? Am I going to spend the rest of my life at the buffet? Am I going to spend the rest of my life in the candy counter? Or am I going to spend the rest of my life helping other people and in so doing, being free, being free? I'm going to choose the latter. Life sometimes sucks. There's a lot of pain to life. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're white or black, male or female. I don't care if you're gay or straight, Jewish, Protestant, Catholic. I don't care if you're Muslim. I don't care if you're a Buddhist. I don't care what you are. I don't care who you are. You're going to suffer pain, as you well know. Every one of you on this line, now we've got 179, but every one of you on this line, on New Year's Eve, that's not bad. Every one of you could give testimony to the pain that you have suffered. But is there a reason to perpetuate the pain? Or is there a reason to let God carry it and let him have it? We have to leave retribution to God. I had horrible injustice happen in my family. Didn't happen to me, but it happened to my dad. Should I, should I lose my life over it? Now, some of you are going to say, I can't forgive. I resent Hitler. I resent the slave traders. I resent the people that mounted up and killed Native Americans. I, and on and on and on and on. How is you eating helping that scenario? Let me, let me level with you here. If I thought that eating pizza would bring back the 6 million or one of the 6 million, I would eat a pizza. If I could bring one back, I would choose Anne Frank. If I could, if me eating pizza could bring back Anne Frank, I would eat the pizza today and die in the food. But I can't bring her back. So if you can walk me through how you eating solves the racial injustice that African-Americans have suffered in this country for hundreds and hundreds of years, I want to hear that. How is you eating going to solve the political problems, the energy? How is you eating going to help that? Walk me through that someday. Not today. Call me up. Walk me through how that works. I'm curious. So I'm not going to let Hitler kill one more Jew. He ain't getting me. I'm not going to eat 
because of what happened in Germany and Poland and Czechoslovakia and all this other stuff during World War II. Ain't going to happen today. I'm going to inventory these resentments, and now I'm going to move forward in my program. Let's continue. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Those are the defects of character. Being late for work is not a defect of character. Yelling at your wife or husband is not a defect of character. Uh, whatever. Those are behaviors that come from defects of character. The defects of character are selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. Now, we add resentment in in the 10th step. There's no reason to add resentment here. It's a resentment inventory. So don't bother asking me in the parking lot, why isn't resentment listed? It's a resentment inventory. It would be like you going to the store to buy frozen vegetables and frozen vegetables are not on the list of things because you're buying them. We, it's a resentment inventory. So let's just keep it as simple as we can. There's no reason to list it. When we get to step 10, it will list resentment as one of the defects of character. Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? We are looking at our own mistakes. And if you need help in getting to your part in things, ask for it. Ask your sponsor. Ask one of us, hey, I'm having trouble identifying my part in this resentment. There may not be a part. There may be a part. But we have something you don't have. You have something I don't have. And that's objectivity. I don't have objectivity about me. I don't have objectivity about those closest to me. You have objectivity with me and them. I don't. I have objectivity where you are concerned. I have objectivity when it's concerning the people closest to you. We're now at 180 on New Year's Eve. Not bad. Okay. So we need some objectivity if we're going to live free of this disease. So here we have a scenario where we are going to look at our part in things. We're gonna look at our part in things. Very, very important. We're not gonna blame anyone. We're not gonna cast out aspersions against anyone. We're looking at our part. And sometimes, what happens is, again, we run the gamut. We blame ourselves for everything, which is usually not the truth, or we blame ourselves for nothing, which is usually the truth. And when we look at these resentments and we get them down on paper and we see the patterns of the resentments that we have, we see the patterns, we start to learn who we are. There is an epiphany. And that epiphany is, I only thought I knew who I was. Now I see what makes me tick. If you ran a movie of your life, a film, a video of your life, it could not be more, re <clears throat> more revealing. Sorry. <clears throat> Hold on. It could not be any more revealing than this process is revealing to you. It will teach you who you are. I don't go to malls very often, but I was in New York 
the other week, a couple of weeks ago, I was in a place called White Plains, New York. And I did a workshop there. And some of you came and some of you, it, we enjoyed each other. It was wonderful. And there was on Saturday, we had a lunch break during the workshop, during the big book workshop. So some of us went across to a mall and at the mall, we were looking for the food court. Boy, a bunch of compulsive overeaters looking for the food court. Holy mackerel, that, that can't end well, right? That can't end too good. Okay, but anyway, we looked at a map and what's the first thing you see on the map? It says, you are here. If I don't know where I am, I don't know how to get where I need to be. I need to know where I am. If I don't know where I am, it's very hard to find. Now, if I put in my, um, you know, my Google Maps or I put in the, the, the directions and I said, God, how do I get to uh, how do I get to the White House from here? Well, it's going to give me you're going to go from Arizona. You're going to go to New Mexico. You're going to go to Texas. You're going to go through this. You're going to it's going to show me how to go to the White House from Scottsdale, Arizona. But how is the Google map going to work? if it doesn't know where I am? Is it gonna give me the same directions to get to the White House in Washington, DC, if I'm in Dublin, Georgia, as it would if I was in Dublin, Ireland or Dublin, Ohio? Is it gonna give me the same directions to get to the White House if uh, I'm in Montreal? No, of course not, of course not. So we need to know where you are. This process of the step four inventory, and most single, singularly, this fourth column of the fourth step is going to point you in the direction, trust God on this, trust me on this, it's going to show you where you are and who you are. Like nothing you've ever imagined, you will learn more about yourself than you ever could have dreamed possible. So we're going to do it. Now, let's, where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. Now, when it says we listed them, what does that mean? I was selfish. I did this. I was dishonest. I did that. You're going to enumerate specifically. You're not just going to list the defects. You're going to list very short sentences, not don't write a book about, don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. Don't write me a book in the fourth column. Very few words. Just give me a headline. What did you do to bring the resentment about and what character defects were brought to the surface? We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and we're willing to set these matters straight. So now is the very beginning of our remarkable journey through this inventory process. Now, the inventory process is not just step four and five. It is not just step four and five. We are going to do it four through nine. Four through nine. And what is this sentence alluding to? That pretty soon we are going to make amends for the wrongs that we have done others. 
So this paragraph on page 67 is as vital a paragraph as you will ever read in your life. Because what it's going to do is it's going to give you specific instructions for how to list your part in these resentments. If you have a resentment that you have no part in, right, DNA does not apply, go to the next thing, but get the inventory done quickly. I give people that I sponsor three hours to do step four, three hours, that's it. No more, three hours, pencils down pencils down. I had Miss Fee in grammar school. She was the librarian. And whenever there was a achievement test or, a, you know, those standardized tests, she, I always remember her. She had a frog. It looked like a, it was a clicker, but it looked like a frog. And she would click the frog, click, 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 click. And then she would say, pencils down. And that was it. If she caught you writing after that, your name was mud, man. Your mother, your dad, they were coming to school and it wasn't going to be pretty. It was not going to be pretty because she was the proctor of those tests for the uh, standardized test. There was a place out of Iowa, I think, uh, that did those tests. Uh, the I think it was called the standard Iowa tests after all. But anyway, she was the proctor, man. And you, she caught you writing after that clicker, that frog started clicking. You were in a world of hurt, buddy boy, world of hurt. But anyway, I give them three hours to finish their four-step. Now, some of you, might, that's crazy. I've been working on my four-step for six years. I've been working on my four-step for six months. No, you haven't. You've let it sit there and you've been obsessing and perseverating about it for six months, but you haven't been working on it. If you have been working on your fourth step for six months, I'd be very, very shocked. I'd be very surprised unless you're, you know, maybe 700 years old. If you're seven, 800 years old, then I, I understand, you know, then I would get it. But since you're probably somewhere south of 100, you haven't been working on it for six months. That's simply not true. It's been sitting on the table. It's been sitting sitting on the desk and you've been obsessing about it, I'll give you that, but you have not been working on it for six months. Let's just do the next paragraph or two, and then we're going to be done. So now we've got four columns for the resentment inventory. Number Column number one, who or what do you resent? Column number two, why do you resent them? In other words, what did they do to you? What did they do? 19 words or less. Do not write a book about what they did. And when you're doing your fifth step, if, if you're the sponsor, don't let them go on and on and on about why they hate their mother-in-law or why they hate their wife's uh, children or whatever, you know, whatever that may be. It's not healthy. It's absolutely not healthy. And by sitting there and talking about each resentment, that's usually not very healthy either. Let them roll, but keep them moving and then point out the patterns. You don't have to have a lengthy discussion about each and every coworker and each and every teacher and each and every whatever boss and, and relative. You don't have to have a, a long discussion on each and every one of these people. It's counterproductive. It's not productive. Okay. 
Um, let's take a look now. Oh, column two. Why, why, why are you angry? Column three, what instinct or instincts are involved? And then column four that we just talked about this morning, what's your part in this resentment and what character defects cause you to take that action that hurt the other person? So we want to make sure that we get in touch with that. Okay, bottom of 67. Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow, somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Interesting question. Didn't we set the ball rolling? In most cases, you bet we did. Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. Now, we're not going to continue with the fear inventory today. We're going to save that for next week. Uh, I am doing Sunday special edition tomorrow morning on vision. So if you want to tune in or not, I don't know, but I'm doing Sunday special edition tomorrow. It's going to be kind of an abbreviated doctor's opinion, a little bit of my story. But what I want to do tomorrow morning is open up questions and answers. I want to open up the Q&A to start the year. Now, what I would appreciate very, very much is um, registering for the birthday do it today if you haven't done it. Get your airfare squared away. If you don't live in California, get your hotel squared away. Do what you need to do by going to Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous Intergroup. Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous Intergroup. And we're gonna we're gonna do that. And I hope to see you in LA. If you're not coming to LA, that's two weeks from now. Next week, I'll be here. But two weeks from now on the 14th of January, I believe that is. Yeah, that's the 14th. We are going to have two very exciting, fabulous speakers. We're going to have two fabulous, fabulous speakers. Um, what I would like you to do as we go to questions and answers today is... If you asked a question last week, please step back and let the person who didn't ask a question last week come forward. If you did ask a question last week and you still have a question, please 